You are listening to a Bible-based message from River Rock Church in Belle Plaine, Minnesota. We invite you to join us Sundays at 10 a.m. We also encourage you to visit riverrockchurch.com for more information and resources. Now here is today's encouraging message from Pastor Chris Tyen. Hi, this is Pastor Chris from River Rock Church in Belle Plaine, and today I want to talk to you about love. I'm talking about love again in a series about faith, hope, and love, and today I wanted to just share about how we should love, and then three reasons why we don't love. Three reasons why we don't love. So we are told in Mark 12, we're taught, Jesus said in Mark 12, verse 30, that And you must love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your mind, and all your strength. And the second is equally important, love your neighbor as yourself. No other commandment is greater than these. So, your love for God, your love for others, and even your love for yourself seems to be all good. And then, bam, your love goes bad. God gives us instructions on the ways we should and should not show love in 1 Corinthians 13. And uh, at least three things can mess these things up. Three things. They are boredom, anger, and misunderstanding. That's what I want to talk about today is uh, the things we should do for love. And then uh, those three things that uh, cause disruption to our love, make love go bad. So that passage said that we're supposed to love God. We're supposed to love God with all our heart, mind, soul, and strength. And we are to love our neighbors as ourselves. So we're supposed to love others and we're supposed to love ourselves. Now, I think there are some people that are just way too focused on loving themselves. They're like, I'm going to keep working on the self-love part. And then when I've got that mastered, then I'm going to start to work on loving others. And that is not the way it's supposed to be at all. But there is a self-preservation, a self-love, a self-care, a self... we care about the way we dress. We care about the way we look. We care about the way we smell. We uh, care about many things, about self-preservation and staying alive. And that is a form of loving and caring for ourselves. And we are to do the same thing for others. And we're to love God with all of our being. So let's look at 1 Corinthians 13, verses 4 through 7, even though I'm only going to talk about verses 4 and 5. Love is patient. Love is kind. It does not envy. It does not boast. It is not proud. It does not dishonor others. It is not self-seeking. It is not easily angered. It keeps no record of wrongs. Love does not delight in evil, but rejoices with the truth. It always protects, always trusts, always hopes, and always perseveres. I found that the uh, articles at uh, gotquestions.org did a great job of summarizing each one of these points, so I'm going to give them credit for uh, some of this here. But number one, love is patient. Okay, love is a fruit of the Spirit in Galatians 5, to 23. Talked about that last week. Uh, love is patient. Love is kind. Uh, patience and kindness is actually a fruit of the Holy Spirit. So those of you that are, have believed in Jesus Christ, that are saved, that are born again, uh, have the Holy Spirit. And the Holy Spirit uh, brings fruit in your life. And two of those fruits are patience and kindness. So we don't have to muster up patience and kindness on our own. Uh, it should be evident in our lives because we have the Holy Spirit working in our lives. So anyway, God is patient with us. God cares about us. God loves us and is waiting patiently for us to choose to do what's right, waiting patiently for us to choose to serve him, waiting patiently for us to share our faith with others. Uh, He was patient even in the days of Noah. The Bible shows over and over again how patient 
God is. So, but we need to be careful. We need to be patient. We need to be loving. We need to wait for people sometimes. We need to wait on God to work in people's lives. Patient endurance and long suffering are hallmarks of a loving character. Love melts away the impatience and frustration that so often hampers one's dealing with others. You know, we have to realize that people are all in a different part of God's process in their life. And some people aren't as far along as you are. Some people aren't as uh, where you want them to be or move as fast as you want them to be or understand things as quick as you do or do things in the way that you think they should. And we need to be patient with them because that is a form of love. That's not a license for them to not ever do better. That's doesn't mean you can't encourage them to do better, go faster, uh, be more efficient or whatever, but we need to be patient and we need to be kind. Number two, kind. Uh, it's also a fruit of the spirit. Kindness is characterized by benevolence and tenderness. A kind person is disposed to help others and to do so with sympathy and consideration. Godly love will make a person kinder. No one can be loving and unkind at the same time. God is kind to us. Jesus is kind to us. People expect Christians to be kind and loving, and often they are surprised uh, when they find that in some areas we're not. Uh, but sometimes it's because we're misunderstood, and that's actually something later in the message, where we promote God's values, and they promote worldly values, and there's a clash of values, and they see our uh, opposition or our pushback is unkindness. But God knows our heart. God knows how we are trying to be kind, how we are trying to be kind. Love is kind. So um, if I was your neighbor and I was walking by and I saw your house on fire, you would want me to come bang on the door. You would want me to wake you up, get you out of that house, be as obnoxious as I can, do everything I can to get you out of there. I might be pounding on your door and you might be going, what, what, why are you being so unkind? Why are you banging on my door? Be like, because your house is on fire. And they'd be like, oh, okay. And then they would understand my unkindness. So sometimes when we tell people that they have a problem with sin, they see that as unkind. Sometimes when we tell people that Jesus is the only way, they find that to be unkind. Sometimes when we stand against uh, rules and laws being made in our country that are contrary to God's will and God's word, uh, they see us unkind uh, and intolerant, but we care. And in our kindness, we proclaim the truth in love. Number three, love does not envy. Love does not envy. The Greek word envy means to burn with zeal. Literally, the sense is to be heated or to boil over with envy, envy hatred, or anger. So uh, the idea is that love does not focus on personal desires. It is not eager to increase possessions. God's type of love is selfless, not selfish. So we are quick to envy. Uh, envy can be a form of idolatry. So sometimes we envy uh, possessions other people have that we don't have, or the place that they get to live that we don't get to live, or the opportunities that they have had that we haven't had. And that form of envy is not loving. We, uh, when we crave what someone else has, rather than being grateful for what God has given, we hurt ourselves. Instead of envying others, we are called to love them. So true love, God's love rejoices when others are blessed. There's no room for envy. Love does not seek to benefit itself. And it is content with what it has because its focus is on meeting the needs of the loved one.
So uh, try not to get caught up into envy and idolatry. Uh, it is easy to do sometimes. Sometimes you're like, that's not fair. You know, I've worked here longer. Why did he or she get the promotion? Or it's not fair. Why am I this age and somebody half my age gets to drive a car or truck like that? That's not fair. How come I don't get to drive that? So anyway, you know all about envy. We don't need to talk too much about that. Love does not boast. Love does not boast. Boast means to brag or point to oneself. So uh, uh, telling everybody how great you are, telling everybody the great experiences you had, telling everybody those fish stories. So I have a uh, picture of my son holding a fish that we caught at a local lake, and it looks like it is the world's largest bass. It looks huge, but actually what it is, is it's me holding the camera down low and then taking that picture and uh, makes the fish out of perspective, makes it look huge. So I actually showed that picture on social networking and somebody said, I had no idea there were fish that large in that lake. And it's like, oh, well, yeah. Anyway, so when we uh, boast, we are talking about ourselves. We are proclaiming the things that we have, the things that we do, the things um, we're bragging, and it's not very loving. Sometimes we do have great experiences that we can share, and we can be thankful to God for them, but we have to be careful not to inflate the story. We have to be careful not to do it to boast, not to be saying to those others around, I'm better than you because I got to, or I'm better than you because I can do, or I'm better than you because I got an award in. And anyway, uh, the reason that love does not boast is simple. Love is focused on the loved one, not on oneself. Uh, someone that brags is full of himself or herself, magnifying his or her own accomplishments. The person with God's type of love will magnify others, focus on their needs, and offer help with no thought of repayment or recognition. When someone says, look at how great I am, uh, they're bragging, and that's not love. Anyway, uh, you know, when we get saved, when we receive Jesus Christ as our Lord and Savior, uh, Ephesians 2, 8 and 9 says it's by grace you've been saved through faith, and this is not from yourselves. It's the gift of God, not by works, so that no one can boast. There's not going to be anybody in heaven saved with Jesus saying, ah, I made it. I can't believe I made it up here. I am so awesome. You know, I did this and I, I did that. And Jesus just had to accept me because I put so many points on the board. Uh, no way. Uh, we're saved uh, by faith. We're saved through grace. We're saved because Jesus has paid the price. And there isn't anything that we can boast about except we can boast about Jesus. So boasting is unloving and sinful. Those called to reflect Christ should strive for the same attitude that is of Christ Jesus, uh, showing love. Uh, Jesus set aside all of his power as God to come down and live among us, set aside his power to come show us how to live, and then he died on the cross, and he rose again. You know that story. And anyway, number five, love is not proud. Love is not proud. Uh, from a Greek word meaning to puff up or blow up. So English idiom of Having a big head communicates the same idea. To be puffed up is to have an inflated opinion of oneself. But pride cannot coexist with godly love. Christian love is not proud or focused on self. Pride is sin. 
And John taught that the pride of life is not from the Father, but is from the world in 1 John 2.16. We actually talked about that at our men's Bible study, about how come in John 3.16, it says that God so loved the world, he gave his one and only Son, that whoever believes upon him would not perish, but have eternal life, that God loved the world so much. But then in 1 John, uh, we hear about how God despises the world. So the pride of life is not from the Father, but it's from the world. So we're talking about two things. We're talking about uh, God's love for the people of the world, as opposed to the world system that is led by Satan, that does everything it can to be self-sufficient and rebel against God, and do everything they can to deny God and uh, Jesus and salvation and everything else. It's a, it's a world system that we are told to reject and not to follow. So 1 John 2.16, For everything in the world, the lust of the flesh, the lust of the eyes, and the pride of life comes not from the Father, but from the world, the world system. And then Proverbs 8.13 says, To fear the Lord is to hate evil. I hate pride and arrogance, evil behavior, and perverse speech. So that's what God says in Proverbs 8.13. Uh, Number six, love does not dishonor others. It's not rude. So love is not rude. The Greek phrase could literally be translated, does not act unbecomingly or does not act inappropriately. Christian love does not seek to cause problems and it does not belittle others. Christian love involves choosing appropriate actions and responses to help other people. Rudeness is kind of what Uh, It's taking over our culture now. I think social networking made it worse. Everybody can air their opinion without much pushback. Uh, There was uh, some social networking video of these dogs that were uh, separated by a fence. I'm not sure what kind of dogs they were, like labs or German shepherds or whatever. But when the fence gate was closed, they would bark at each other violently. And then when the fence gate was opened, where they could get to each other, then they just kind of backed up and looked at each other. Then when the fence gate was closed again, then they barked at each other violently. And I think the same thing is happening with social networking, with uh, people posting stuff and assuming that there's not going to be, you know, any any trouble that comes their way, as opposed to, you know, are you going to say that to my face? But nonetheless, uh, we need to make sure that we choose to do what's right, that we are not rude, that we do not act unbecomingly. Number seven, love does not demand its own way. Love does not demand its own way. Greek phrase literally means does not seek the things of itself. You know, there's so many things that we are uh, involved in, so many things that we do that we just want, we want our own way. So uh, it's my way or the highway. Uh, that can also be the lonely way. So you can get people that will abandon you over that kind of stuff. Uh, there are certain things that you might want to insist that your way might be best or prove why it's better. And other things, maybe you can let go. Maybe it's okay not to be so focused on that, that uh, there can be issues of life that is good for, for compromise. Um But there are other issues that we need to stand on godly principles. But it's always good to say, uh, the reason that I don't want to do that is because God's word says this. Um, So I personally don't drink, but, you know, I don't condemn people who do drink. The Bible says it's a sin to get drunk. It doesn't necessarily say it's a sin to drink. But uh, sometimes I do point out that the Bible says that wine is a mocker, Beer is a brawler, and it's not fit for kings to drink much wine. As a matter of fact, it says, give beer to those who are perishing. 
So it's like, so I'm trying to live my life more like a king than somebody who's perishing. Philippians 2, 4 says, let each of you look not only to your, to his own interest, but also to the interest of others. So, um, Think about that, pray about that, and work that out. A person who demands his own way, who tramples on others' rights for the sake of upholding his own, or who insists on having his due is not showing love. Love is considerate of others. The one who loves is willing to forego recognition and lay down his rights for the sake of the loved one. Jesus showed love in this way. He did not come to be served, but to serve and give his life a ransom for many. So... A Christian love is not about us, but about others. Putting love into practice involves following the examples of Jesus, considering the needs and interests of others, and denying our personal desires in order to serve those in need. Number eight, love is not easily angered. Love is not easily angered. We need to have another message that's just totally focused on anger. People that are easily angered are often quick to give in to sin. Anger itself is not sinful, but can quickly lead to sinful expression, sinful actions. Uh, so many fits of rage lead to trouble, um, you know, hitting things. You know, that's an interesting thing, thing too, in our culture, is that people say, you know, it's good to vent your anger. Oh, you're so angry, go hit your pillow. Oh, you're so angry, go hit something. It's like, um, if you first start, you're hitting your pillow, and the next thing you'll be hitting walls, and then pretty soon you'll be hitting people. And actually, the Bible says that only a fool gives a, gives full vent to his rage. So I'm going to talk more about anger uh, another time, and maybe even a little bit more in this message. But we all know what anger is, and we need to do what we can to avoid uh, those situations or to avoid... Um, things that cause us to be angry. But before I do, I'll just point out that Jesus was angry. Uh, in Mark uh, chapter 3, Jesus says, Does the law permit good deeds on the Sabbath? Or is it a day for doing evil? Is this a day to save a life or destroy it? But they wouldn't answer him. He looked around at them angrily and was deeply saddened by their hard hearts. And he said to the man, Hold out your hand. So the man held out his hand, and was it was restored. So Jesus healed somebody on the Sabbath, but Jesus was angry at the hardness of the heart of those around him. So Jesus was angry, but he did not sin. And there's times when we are angry. God is angry. God's justice, his wrath, his anger is also uh, tied to his love. So God is holy and perfect, but God can get angry. God gets angry when people rebel against him. People, God gets angry when people deliberately rebel and uh, walk in sin. But God is slow to anger and abounding in love, and we need to be like him. We need to do that too. All right, number nine, love keeps no record of wrongs. Jesus is the ultimate example of this when he died on the cross for our sins and paid the penalty for our sins. And uh, I think it's Psalm 103 says that God will remember our sins no more. As far as the east is from the west, our sins are removed from us. God chooses not to bring those things up after they've been paid for, after Jesus has forgiven those sins. Uh, those aren't brought up again. Uh, Colossians 3, 13 says, Forgive whatever grievances you may have against one another. Forgive as the Lord forgave you. And over all these virtues put on love, which binds them all together in perfect unity. So uh, we need to try to do all that we can to refuse to uh, bring up the past, to refuse to keep those re record of wrong, because it's not loving when we bring up all of those things. So, um, you know, sometimes we start to we get angry. We get in an argument, 
we start to pull out all the things from the past that maybe even we said we forgave or we, forget, we were going to forget about that we weren't going to bring up anymore. And we pull all that stuff out so we can win the argument. So basically, uh, we might win the argument, but then we lose the relationship. So sometimes uh, we need to forgive and move on and not bring that stuff up from the past. You know, the longer you live, the longer that past stuff sits there. And it's so weird when the past comes back to get you, you know, the past from 40 years ago and somebody's bringing that up. So my guess is that you've changed in 40 years and you're not that person anymore. So, uh, but love does not keep that record of wrong. Now, if you're in an abusive situation or whatever, you want to get out of that. Uh, you want to uh, maybe be guarded against that. But do all you can not to be keeping a list of all the things that someone has done to wrong you. I read this, this and I thought that was pretty helpful. It says that some people have an axe to grind, but Christian love seeks to bury the hatchet. Love keeps no record of wrongs. We forgive as Christ has forgiven us. All right, so it's easy to see that list and agree and think we have it all together. It's easy to think that we can pull that off, that we're going to love like that. That's what we're going to do. That's the way that we're going to live. And everything's great. You're driving in your car. You're listening to worship music. Everything's great. And then, bam, it hits you. And love goes bad. Things that can really get you upset are when you have like this list of all these things you have to do and then somebody interrupts you, somebody interrupts you and then bam, your love goes bad. You're, you're easily angered. You are uh, envying people that aren't so stressed. Um, anyway, I'm going to run out of time, so I better keep going here with uh, with my notes. Boredom. Let me just talk about how boredom makes your love go bad, Okay. Um, boredom can give us time and motivation to think and do unloving things. Uh, when you have a lot of extra time on your hand, it can lead to trouble. Uh, bored people check out their friends on Instagram or other sites and they end up envying their possessions or uh, the places they get to go or the places they get to be or the people they hang out with. And bored people sit there and go, I don't get to go someplace warm for vacation. I don't get to hang out with those people. I don't. And, you know, bored people can gossip and be unkind. Uh, they start to, you know, talk about those other people, talk bad about those other people. Bored people have too much time. Uh, they can dishonor others and focus on how others have wronged them. Uh, they can start to tell their friends. They can start to gossip. They can start to do all sorts of things. Matter of fact, that was prevalent in the church in 1 Timothy 5 verse 11. Uh, Paul writes about the young widows in the church. Should they be put on the church care list? Paul writes, because their physical desires will overpower their devotion to Christ, and they will want to remarry, then they would be guilty of breaking their previous pledge. And if they are on the list, they will learn to be lazy and will spend their time gossiping from house to house, meddling in other people's business, and talking about things they shouldn't. So, um whether they're young widows in the church or anybody else that has too much time on their hands, uh, it can lead to trouble. Ephesians 5.15 says, Be careful how you live. Don't live like fools, but like those who are wise. Make the most of every opportunities in these evil days. You know, my grandma used to say that idle hands are the devil's tools or the devil's workshop. People are more likely to do something bad and get into trouble when they have nothing to do. So uh, a few years back, John Maxwell had a devotional that he wrote at the end of 
January. And uh, this is what it says. As we approach the end of January, a time when you might begin to feel discouraged about a lack of progress towards your New Year's resolutions, I'd like to share some of my favorite quotes on goals and planning. If we want to succeed with our resolutions, we need to make them measurable and attainable. Uh, Breaking them down into specific goals allows us to do that. If you haven't already broken your big dreams down into small goals, take some time to do that this week. Create manageable steps, give yourself deadlines, and don't let discouragement derail your dreams. Yogi Berra, these are some of his quotes. Yogi Berra said, if you don't know where you're going, you'll end up someplace else. Lou Holtz, Coach Lou Holtz said, if you're bored with life, you don't get up every morning with a burning desire to do things. You don't have enough goals. Learn from the past. Set vivid, detailed goals for the future and live in the only moment of time over which you have any control now. C.S. Lewis said, you are never too old to set another goal or to dream a new dream. Bruce Lee said, a goal is not always meant to be reached. It It often serves simply as something to aim at. Michelangelo said, the great, the greater danger of most of us lies not in setting our aim too high and falling short, but in setting our aim too low and achieving our mark. Theodore Roosevelt said, be practical as well as generous in your ideals. Keep your eyes on the stars, but remember to keep your feet on the ground. Booker T. Washington said, you measure the size of the accomplishment by the obstacles you have, have to overcome to reach your goals. And Albert, Albert Hubbard not Elrond, uh, said, know what you want to do, hold the thought firmly, and do every day what should be done, and every sunset will see you that much near the goal. So in 1 Peter 5, 8, says, stay alert, watch out for your great enemy, the devil. He prowls around like a roaring lion looking for someone to devour. So we need to be real careful about boredom. Boredom can cause all sorts of trouble. Uh, Later on, you can look in 2 Samuel chapter 11. But you remember David and Bathsheba. David was taking a break from the war. He was hanging out at home while everybody was off in battle. And while he was, uh, you know, had no extra, uh, didn't have anything on his agenda, didn't have anything to do. He was kind of looking around and he's like, oh, who's that beautiful woman? Oh, yeah, she's the wife of so-and-so. He's like, I don't care. Bring her to me. And you know what uh, happened as a result of uh, that uh, relationship. Uh, Probably wouldn't have happened if David didn't have too much time on his hands. Probably wouldn't have happened if David, who was a man after God's own heart, uh, hadn't fallen into that sin and that temptation. Uh, What a mess that caused because boredom can cause all sorts of trouble. 2 Timothy 2.22, run from anything that stimulates youthful lusts and said, pursue righteous living, faithfulness, love, and peace. Enjoy the companionship of those who call on the Lord with pure hearts. All right, so boredom. Said a lot about boredom. A, anger, bam. Boredom, anger, and then being misunderstood. So anger makes love go bad because, you know, anger isn't patient. Anger is often unkind. Matter of fact, I'll get you for this. Anger often starts from envy. I already shared about, you know, how I've worked here longer. Why did that person get that promotion? I'm so mad. Life is so unfair. Um, Anger. Sometimes we boast when we're angry. Uh, Sometimes proud people are very angry. Anger is often rude and dishonors others. Anger often demands its own way or threatens to cause harm or pain if demands aren't met. Um... 
So again, it's not a sin to be angry, but it's easy to sin while you are angry. And anger tries to bring up all the past wrongs it can remember, even if they supposedly forgave. Ephesians 4.26 says, Don't sin by letting anger control you. Don't let the sun go down while you are still angry. So it would be pretentious to say, oh, the sun's going down, you have to forgive me. Or, uh, oh, the sun's going down, I guess I can't be angry at you anymore. But it would be good to work it through. It would be good to seek forgiveness or give forgiveness before the day is over. Uh, that way, uh, you both can wake up tomorrow with a new day, fresh with opportunities. The Bible says that the Lord's mercies are new every morning. And it'd be great if our new mornings were full of uh, a fresh start and forgiveness. Uh, besides that, people who are angry don't sleep very well at night. So I'm going to read you a story now, a story that I think was helpful. There was a little boy with a bad temper. His father gave him a bag of nails and told him that every time he lost his temper, to hammer a nail in the back fence. The first day, the boy had driven 37 nails into the fence. Then it gradually dwindled down. He discovered it was easier to hold his temper than it was to drive those nails into the fence. Finally, the day came when the boy didn't lose his temper at all. He told his father about it, and his father suggested that the boy now pull out one nail each day that he was able to hold his temper. The day passed, and the young boy was finally able to tell his father that all the nails were gone. And the father took his son by the hand and led him to the fence, and he said, You've done well, my son, but look at the holes in the fence. The fence will never be the same. When you say things in anger, that leave a scar just like this one. You can put a knife in a man and draw it out. It won't matter how many times you say I'm sorry, the wound is still there. You know, Moses... Uh, Moses, a friend of God, Moses, uh, so greatly used by God, used to go up to the mountain, spend time with the Lord. Um, he, uh, in his anger, instead of, you know, striking the rock like God wanted him to, um, so the water would come out, uh, he struck it out of anger. And uh, God was not pleased with that. Sometimes our anger gets us in a lot of trouble. Misunderstanding makes love go bad. Love goes bad when people misunderstand each other. So now we have a cancel culture where if someone doesn't agree with you, uh, contracts are canceled, social media access is blocked, former friends abandon you. Oh wait, unless you're a baker that refuses to bake a cake for someone's event that you don't uh, get to express your views about that, you get sued and lose your business. Misunderstandings can lead people to being angered. You're not hearing me. People repeat what they misunderstand like broken records, records of wrongs. Job was a misunderstood victim uh, in the Old Testament, in the book of Job. Job was a misunderstood uh, victim of what was going on. But his well-meaning friends are like, what did you do to deserve this? He was misunderstood. Jesus was misunderstood. He was mocked, flogged, and crucified. Peter wrote about how Paul was misunderstood in 2 Peter chapter 3. Verse 15, uh, remember our Lord's patience gives people time to be saved. This is what our beloved brother Paul also wrote to you with the wisdom God gave him. Speaking of these things in all of his letters, some of his comments are hard to understand. And those who are ignorant and unstable have twisted his letters to mean something quite different, just as they do with other parts of Scripture. And this re will result in their destruction. So here we have more people 
misunderstood. And I'm sure that you've been misunderstood before. And I'm sure that you misunderstand people. So we need to try to get past the misunderstanding so that we can show love. In Matthew chapter 7, Jesus says, Don't judge others, or, and you will not be judged, for you will be treated as you treat others. The standard you use in judging is the standard by which you will be judged. And why worry about a speck in your friend's eye when you have a log in your own? So Jesus says we need to humbly deal with our own issues and sin before we think we should go and correct others. Jesus wasn't saying not to be discerning, but he was saying that we should, shouldn't quickly size people up and shut them down or punish them. So what standard is it that you want to be judged by? How about God's righteous standards surrounded by his love and grace? So don't judge people by income status or skin color or language or accent or personal style or lack of it. Uh, none of us are perfect and we all need Jesus. All right, I'm going to read one more story and then I'm going to be done. That's a story of old, but it's a story that's helpful. Standard Oil was one of the biggest companies in the world, led by the famous John D. Rockefeller. On one occasion, a company executive made a bad decision. It cost the firm $2 million. Now, this is the late 1800s, and $2 million was a huge sum. Edward Bedford, a partner in the company, had an appointment to see Rockefeller. When he entered Rockefeller's office, he saw his boss bent over a piece of paper, busily scribbling notes. When Rockefeller finally looked up, he said to Bedford, I suppose you've heard about our loss. I've been thinking it over, Rockefeller said. Before I ask that man in to discuss the matter, I've been making some notes. Bedford looked across the table and saw the page Rockefeller had been scribbling on. Across the top of the page was the heading, Points in Favor of, and then had the man's name. Below the heading was a long list of the man's good qualities, including notes of three occasions where he had made decisions that had earned the company many times more than his recent error had lost. Bedford later said, I never forgot that lesson, and later years, whenever I was tempted to rip into anyone, I forced myself first to sit down and thoughtfully compile as long a list of good points as I possibly could. Invariably, by the time I finished my inventory, I would see the matter in its true perspective and keep my temper under control. There is no telling how many times this habit has prevented me from committing one of the costliest mistakes any executive can make, losing his temper. Let me pray. Lord Jesus, I just thank you so much for the people that have spent time to watch this. I pray that you would help us all to show more love and not get tripped up, uh, not be surprised when uh, uh, boredom, anger, or misjudgment comes. Lord, I pray that if anybody here has never received you as our Lord and Savior, that they would pray, talking to you, that they would pray, Lord Jesus, I admit that I am a sinner. I do believe that you died on the cross and rose for my sins. Please forgive me of my sins. Come into my life and save me. Make me the person you created me to be. I want to follow you. In Jesus' name, amen. If you did that, let us know so we can send you links to resources to help you grow in the Christian life. River Rock Church, we're praying for a place to meet. COVID has caused many troubles, including us losing our Sunday rental space. Uh, just last Friday, the school said again that they aren't allowing uh, any outside groups in and that uh, the uh, school is closed to um, outside groups uh, because of COVID. And that may change sometime in the future, but still, um, we need our own place to meet. We can't rely on the school. 
to be there for us when we need it. And we could do so much more in ministry if we had our own space. We have looked at numerous buildings and tried to acquire numerous buildings, and so far it hasn't worked out. But there is one little ugly building in town that we had uh, some contractors and a building designer look at and gave us uh, some reassurances and some ideas of how we could make it work. So would you pray for us to find a building? Would you pray for us to have wisdom as we move forward and the finances to move forward? Uh, we could greatly use uh, financial resources and skilled volunteers uh, and materials. Uh, we also own 10 acres of land, but uh, we found that it would cost over a million dollars to build a decent building out on that church land uh, by the time everything is uh, said and done. So uh, again, we want to minister in Belle Plaine and reach people here and in the surrounding region. Uh, we are looking to the Lord to provide and possibly he will provide through the gifts of his people. Anyway, enough of that. Please pray for us. Um, give if you feel led. Uh, riverrockchurch.com slash give. We're reliant on people's giving to keep moving forward. Uh, let us know how we can pray for you. Riverrockchurch.com slash pray. Uh, you can watch or listen to past messages at riverrockchurch.com slash watch or slash listen. Uh, we do have some groups meeting. Our uh, Bible quizzers actually met uh, in person uh, as opposed to on Zoom. So that was pretty exciting. Uh, next week we have a, a Zoom uh, church meeting uh, to talk about how uh, we're moving forward and what we can do. So if you're a member or a part of River Rock Church, we need you to uh, tune in or zoom in at 11 or meet us at the ministry center. But anyway, I uh, hope that you are uh, growing and serving and trusting in the Lord each day. So may God bless you. Have a great week. You've been listening to a message from River Rock Church. River Rock Church exists to help people of all ages connect to Christ and live well lives. W stands for worshiping, E for encouraging, L for learning, and L for loving. God wants you to be well. Visit riverrockchurch.com for our latest news and to access resources to help you and the people you care about live well lives.